Hello everyone, um, we are back at it again for another episode of the Fat Dog Vinyl Podcast. We are located here at 7 North Main Street in beautiful downtown Mount Vernon, Ohio at our favorite and Mount Vernon's only record store, so come check us out. And today we are very excited. I am here with some folks from the world famous Kenyon College. We are going to talk some Bjork. We're going to talk about how Iceland might be cooler than Ohio on uh, the number crunches, so... We're going to get right into it. I am your host, Matt, and I am here with... I'm Caroline. And you are coming to us from WKCO. Indeed. WKCO, Kenyon College's radio station. And uh, how can Knox County natives find WKCO on the airwaves? Do you want to take this one? Yeah. Hi, I'm Abby. I'm the president of WKCO. Uh, you can find us if you're local. We have about a one... Uh, I'll say, okay, I'll say five-mile radius to our transmitter. Um, so if you're around Kenny College, you can tune in on 91.9. Oh, sorry, louder? Too close. My bad. You can, um, <laughs> sorry, tune in uh, at 91.9 FM. Or if you're not from around here, you can tune in at WKCO919.com and go to our listening tab and listen on Shoutcast. And so let's get right into it. By the way, that's the wonderful thing about Mr. John, our show's producer. He can always edit things so I can say anything I want to and not get in trouble. So obviously, if you just blank on something and there's a space, do not panic because I can't stress to you how many mistakes I make. And John can make them all go away and make me sound professional. Anyways, back to business. So today we were talking Homogenic by Bjork. And so, why was this the record you picked? Um, well, a few weeks ago, my dad visited mm-hmm. Kenyon, um, and we were at dinner in town, and he decided to pop the very difficult question of asking me what my three Desert Island albums would be. Um, Jeez, Dad, that's a tough Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like in the middle of my salad appetizer i was like whoa okay we're getting right into it um straight to the entree yeah seriously um and the first other than the other album i said was blue rev by always but i kind of take that back but what's the um cover for that one look like i know what their um covers look like and uh-huh. cannot tell you the title it's like a car with some people in it okay. it's all primary yeah. colors yeah yeah um but yeah, other than that one, my I think that was just my most recent listen. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that one, the first one that came to mind was Homogenic. I think it's partially due to the bias that I've done a lot of research into it, and I'm really interested in like the the backstory of the songs in it, and um, just Bjork's backstory in general, specifically around the time period of that album. And what's super interesting for somebody who Bjork is something very new to me, similar to In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutramilk Hotel or The Queen is Dead by The Smiths. Once you see an album cover on enough greatest all time list, it sticks in the back of your mind. And when I uh, look at the cover of Homogenic, it's like, oh, I've seen this image many a times from even when I first became a music fan in middle school, high school. And I was doing a lot of like just reading and catching up on music publications so you know that's why i'm so excited to get into it and break down because it seems like one of those albums 
you can just keep talking about it and still be excited to talk more about it. Even though it came out in 1997, we're still talking about it. Um, obviously, when um, show producer John found out which album we were doing, his eyes immediately lit up and said, uh, I thought his comment was interesting. There was a lot of stuff using the, the tagline for their genre as alternative. Mm-hmm. But Bjork was actually alternative. He also named dropped Primus, but that's for a different mm-hmm. episode. So right into it, uh, do you want to give some backstory on this album? Yeah, sure. So um, the making of Homogenic was kind of a tumultuous period of Bjork's life because I'm pretty sure it coincided with when she was dealing with her stalker. Um, So she was just feeling very unstable and she decided to go from her recording studio in London to El Cortijo in Spain in the mountains, uh, which is primarily where she recorded her album. Um, And she had a very lofty goal of wanting to create the sort of seminal music of Iceland. Like she wanted to create, she found that there was no modern electronic music that reflected the values and ideals of Iceland. Um, So that was kind of her main goal in creating this record. Um, So so it's kind of funny that she like went to another country to make it because she like distanced herself from the sometimes place. to see the full picture you have to That's fully true. leave the picture it's like the meme of the astronaut up in space and he looks down at earth and the whole thing was ohio <laughs> you ever seen that meme That's no i love that though yes no that's also just something that comes to mind is sometimes it's hard to especially you know if that's your home you know You might have to leave, get culture shock somewhere else to really define, oh, this is something that I've experienced every day that's very unique to where I'm from. So, yeah, no, that's definitely an interesting way to start an album. And correct me if I'm wrong, the only other Icelandic band I can think of is uh, Sigur Rós. Yeah, yeah, that's the other big one. I I hope I said that right. I've heard that pronounced a, a bunch of different ways, but I know I've watched live performances of them and they're kind of like the Beatles to England you know it's like I know Iceland just has a few really heavy hitters specifically in alternative music it seems their Mm -hmm. biggest musical export is things we'd call alternative yeah well before um Bjork stepped out in her independent career she was a big part of the um 80s punk Icelandic punk movement which was you know obviously like a big sector of alternative music so that I think is another focal point of their music culture like she was in the big one for her was the Sugar Cubes um which is a great great band I think they only have like one album out and it came out like mid to late 80s so she has that sort of traditionally alternative background but it's all kind of kind of got flipped on its head pretty quickly right and you know it's just as artists go on to you know they might be into punk or hardcore but just like to experiment with synthesizers and stuff you know like just because you're influenced by something or your roots doesn't mean it's you know always going to come out in your music or how you choose to express something yeah yeah so Um. right off the bat though we have the song hunter 
which I think is fascinating. Why do you think this was a good opener? Why do you, how does this set the stage for you? Um, I mean, I always talk about this song in a really weird way. I have like this metaphor in my head that I like to use for it, that it sounds like you're listening or like you're listening to a song from the perspective of a mosquito. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, but I guess in a more general sense, um, it's just like a very immediate dive into the sort of classical side that she's mm. like focusing on because one of the reasons or one of the things that she did in this album is that she, at least in terms of instrumentation, she only used Icelandic musicians because she wanted to like again, have the album reflect Icelandic culture. say it's necessarily reflective of the entirety of the album like it's it's a very intense starter but it's also one of my favorites um and like another thing about the background of this track um that I think is just so fascinating is once again this was around the time that she was dealing with her online stalker who was like I think he like tried to send her anthrax in the mail, like weird guy. Um, and she made the music video for Hunter and it was like fused with AI. And she actually intentionally um, uh, mirrored the movements of the videos of her stalker that were recorded with the movements that she used in the music video. But I think the song was made and recorded prior to when that had happened. Um, so I'm biased and very fascinated by the lore behind it. I'm not sure exactly what the context of it being the open track was, but I think it it does its it does its job in that it draws you in because it's the instrumentation and the yeah. production. I is mean, absolutely. That's all. Song one needs you to do is to, yeah. get you to, to get you to dive into song two and even that's just fascinating to me because like sometimes music obviously something can be great on its own but be fascinating the deeper you go into it yeah um i went through a phase where i had no idea charles manson was a musician mm. and i went back to a lot of those acoustic tapes and demos and like an average person can sing about crazy things but when Charles Manson was singing about crazy things and you know the background, you know, like, you know, how, how truly crazy and deranged he was, it just gave me a really eerie feeling. So, like, obviously having a stalker is, like, super traumatic, like, super weird. Just being able to incorporate that in the music video, too, which is really interesting. Yeah, and then the fact that the song is, like, I'm going hunting, I'm a hunter. Like, it's, it almost sounds like it's from the perspective of the stalker, even though that wasn't the intention. 
Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting reclamation, too, because I feel like a lot of people's reaction, if they were being stalked and they were going to put out a big music album, they might kind of leave that to the side. You know, it's like, I want to focus on my music. I don't want to find time for that. But sometimes some of the best records, some of the most personal music is dealing with some of the worst subject matter. Definitely. So, yeah, it was definitely an interesting uh, track one. So... The next track is pronounced Joga, correct? Yeah. Okay. What can you tell us about track two, Joga? Um, I think, I mean, maybe this kind of makes Hunter make more sense in context with the rest of the album and that, like, she's leading you into this very personal, emotional sort of um, journey. Like, she's, a lot of her lyrics in the songs are just, like, very vulnerable um and it's kind of an interesting contrast to like her intentions of making the record and that she wanted to create she wanted to mirror the landscape of Iceland with her um production and instrumentation um so there's sort of like this contrast between like the personal and the impersonal but also like the fusion of the two because she is Icelandic and like that means a lot to her um but i also think this if i'm correct this is the album the album before this was debut that was her yes yeah i think there was also like a big shift between her between that album and this album to her becoming a lot more personal with her lyricism which i wonder if that was sort of a point she wanted to make in itself to say like, I don't know, like Icelandic people are in touch with their emotions or like, I don't know, something like that. I am kind of, this is, the concept is already growing on me in a way that I'm singing about a place, but I'm singing a lot of these songs from myself because, you know, I'm somebody who born and raised in the utopia of Mount Vernon, Ohio. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to come back and work for the community here. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I get very territorial over Cleveland, Ohio. And it's like to acknowledge the culture of the people is also to acknowledge yourself. Because at the end of the day, whether I feel like I fit in, I'm as big of an Ohio State football fan as anyone else here. And, you know, I know the best restaurants and some of like my hometown's flaws are my flaws and some of our strengths are Mm. my strengths so I really think this is interesting too because you know I could see someone if they're going to make a record about Iceland they could travel around to different major cities and parks and write some you know and it's like to where that would be effective I think the strategy of analyzing a country through analyzing the self is like a really interesting way to take yeah, the record absolutely and you know this is something too because when i had mentioned to you that my first time ever listening through this album was about six months ago because i'm a fan of the band the drums and johnny pierce the lead singer had said this is his favorite album of all time and in the interview he's going into why he's gushing about this record and he's like Well, it's really great, too, because as soon as my music got popular, too, I started realizing I was generally more interested in keeping things to myself. Mm -hmm. So he thought, like, 
Bjork's take on making personal records. And, you know, obviously this is a, a cult favorite, critically acclaimed, like super popular record. You know, sometimes the success and the attention can be a lot, but it's saying I can make this personal introverted music, but still not grow with my music in a way to like, now I'm super social. Now I need to refer to everything a critic has ever said. So I really do think that's interesting. Um, this is another interesting thing that I've noticed about this record is Joga was the most streamed song on Spotify. Um, why do you think this was the song that like, you know, obviously streaming sites, people are going to hop on, maybe make a playlist, maybe add their favorite song or two. Why do you think this is the song that gets the most attention on an individual basis? Um, I mean, it's hard to tell for me because my immediate response is that it's very cinematic and heartbreaking, but I think that so many of the songs on the album are cinematic and heartbreaking. Um, maybe it's because of like the, I don't I imagine it's probably because of like the chorus or maybe it has the most catchy chorus or something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sometimes don't know it's really hard one. to get to the bottom and everyone has favorite songs by a band it's like oh it was a b-side the whole time i don't like their popular songs or, or vice versa so you yeah. know that's something i'm always interested in, in is it's kind of surprising to me that that would be the most popular one because i would imagine more like at that time like a track like alarm call or something would be more like when trip hop was right. really popular that would be like the one that would really take off so that's interesting so, and this next song, too, is something that was really interesting to me in my limited exposure to the record. This one is called Unravel. Mm -hmm. So, what are your initial thoughts on this track? Um, this is one that I am less familiar with. Yeah. I would say, oh, I don't really have much to say about this track. <laughs> it's one of the lesser known ones of mine. Um... I want to try to like, I kind of for, forget, <laughs> I kind of forget. No worries. I just, I tend to like, there are like a few on this album that I just like very deeply fixated on. Um, but also if it, if it were to be played for me, I would recognize it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I notice sometimes if a record is so good, especially now too, that I'm collecting records or there are certain ones i don't really add songs to playlist there are certain records where i'll throw it on start to finish somebody would be like oh do you like this and i'd be like what is that one and then i hear the first second from it i'm like oh that and i can sing the entire song from memory too that's how a lot of like instrumental music is for me and jazz because it's hard to like always know how to hum something uh distinctly but I did think that was a really interesting track. Um, the next one is Bachelorette Family Tree version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's probably another one of my favorites. Um, the thing that is really important to me about, like, or the thing that really intrigues me about Bjork's work is her use of multimedia and the way that she invests herself in her 
music video productions. Um, so like this song has an insane music video with it. It's like a whole, it's like a whole movie. situation um and she she just it's it's a good example of the way that she takes such a holistic approach on her music and not just um not just confining it to the music that she's putting it out but also like the media that comes out alongside the music and it's sort of like it's an it's indicative of what she would then accomplish later in her career like Mm -hmm. I think she was one of the first artists to create an iPad app along with her album, her album Crystalline, I think, um, which weirdly enough, I uh, studied in my elementary school. <laughs> like we uh, borrowed these iPads and we played the game, which Whoa. was pretty, <laughs> pretty <laughs> abnormal. Um, so I've like known about her pretty early on, which might be another reason why I love her so much because she's sort of a nostalgic figure for me but yeah that um I think that song was just a very a big highlight for me for her way of like using different platforms to display her music yeah and that's something we have the pleasure of experiencing with different artists now because you know, a few hundred years ago, a composer could write something and like having the music recorded and who recorded the version is a whole different thing. And then obviously when bands started putting out music videos, that kind of changed what these music, like the experience can be. And now we're to the point where it's like, you know, I'm a huge Gorillaz fan and they were doing this thing like at Times Square and they're like, hey, we're going to have like a live music video thing where they were using all the screens at Times Square. And like, obviously I've described them as not just one of my favorite bands, but I think they're my favorite art project of all time. And that's something that is cool about Bjork is like fashion, music videos, the actual songwriting, you know, there's a a lot to take in, not just the music. Like if you're going to throw on, you know, one of her albums on your record player or stream it on a drive, you're going to get an understanding of what a record might stand for and be about. But it is really exciting too when there's just so much to explore. And I know she was always one of the major figures and like, I know she catches the art pop label, you know, or like experimental or this or that, but it's really just because, you know, a lot of this too is really interesting because it is, it can be strange and unique and it has a way of sounding futuristic and way ahead of its time. But there's also some really nice pop sensibilities to where it's not just like some out there cult hit where you got to have the whole story to understand it. So really just to have interesting music videos. And I'm sure like, you know, back in the 1990s with MTV and everything, sometimes that was the easiest way to get an audience is 
you know, if you have interesting visuals to roll along with it. And like I said, coming back to this album cover, this is just one of those things that when I see, it's just, it's very memorable. I know some of her earlier works, they're just normal or more seemingly more normal pictures. And then this is just something else completely. Yeah. Well, um, I'm pretty sure the fashion designer, Alexander McQueen, curated the cover of it, um, which is really cool. A again, that sort of like incorporation of different media platforms. Um, and I was also reading on like what the album cover meant to her. Yeah. Because again, the goal was to sort of make it the epitome of Icelandic music. So I right. think there are a lot of nods to like Icelandic fashion and I read a quote today about it that she was like, I wanted to make my outfit on the cover very heavy and very difficult to wear to like express this sort of warrior state that I have to assume as a person with all of this weight on me. I, I don't, and yeah, it's like a very personal thing, but I think she also like, accredits it to her upbringing in Iceland and who she became through her surroundings, right. which is cool. So flowing into the next track, All Neon Like, mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, this is probably one of, one of the deeper cuts on it, I'd say. It's not as catchy as the other tracks, um, but it's very like... It, it kind of reminds me of like it, it it feels like a cave like it has a very cave-like ambiance to it in my opinion like the way that it echoes and reverberates not till you halo all over me i'll come over not Till it shimmers round your skull I'll be yours This is yeah. my favorite kind of moment on the podcast too Is when you're, you're giving me this look for the viewers listening at home like Hey, I'm gonna say something that I cannot prove There is no definitive evidence But it's really those deep cut personal moments of like cave energy you know, yeah. so that's really interesting. Like, so I can at least retrieve and recall, like, I could basically retrieve and recall a general vibe from each of these tracks at the very base. Like, I might not be able to remember what the lyrics were, exactly what the instrumentation was like, but I can grasp a generalization of, like, the feeling that I got from it as a whole that's what's also fun to me is sometimes i'm listening to a rock record and i was like these are rock songs and a hip-hop record and there's somebody rapping on every track this album is it works together but it's kind of like walking through separate rooms because a lot of them do have different energies to them you know sometimes it's hard to me or for me to figure out like exactly the mood of this album because like similar to most people's like personal life and feelings there's not just one consistent mood um you know it'd be more simple if it was a breakup record or like 
a happy record about the birth of a child or something, but this one is is a little hard to pin down, and the instrumentation matches that. Also, like, you know, if a record comes out in the UK or the US, you know, it might have guitars and bass and drums, and you can distinctly hear that. This is really interesting, too, and something I think I want to take away from this and learn more about is all the different Icelandic instrumentation that was used on it. So you said a lot of this was made in Spain. Did she have Icelandic folks come to Spain, or did she record it and then just bounce? Do you know? I'm pretty sure she flew them out, because um, I saw some footage of one of the like violinists talking in front of the El Cotijo Mountains. But I, she did also record a part of it in her studio in London, so they could have also been brought there. I just thought this was really interesting, too, when one album isn't just from one individual studio. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of famous records are like live and die, started, conceived, partially written, major decisions. Everything was in one studio. But I noticed that, too, on a lot of uh, more modern records, specifically if you have a bunch of collaborators, maybe like four or five years in between records where it'll be like this was done in Atlanta. Los Angeles and Tokyo, you know, there's always that curveball in there. So I, I really do. I think that it is really fascinating that this is an Icelandic record. And a lot of it was done outside of Iceland. Yeah. But I think the point that you made about it before, like taking yourself out of the immediacy of the situation and being able to like look at it from a bird's eye view and reflect, like getting yourself away from that can do a lot like as a person who's from LA and is going to school in Ohio right now there are so many things about like dynamics and ways of living that I now get to look at more from afar being here I'm gonna have John uh, edit in the explosion sound for that but are you telling me Mount Vernon and Los Angeles are slightly different places um I wouldn't say they're alike Which is funny because uh, producer of the show, John, also has a lot of backstory in Los Angeles. So um, all I'm saying is, as we are recording this, it is not snowing here. And I heard a, some uh, snow fell in Los Angeles the other day. This is true. This is very true. Which is wild. Yeah. Um, on to the next one. Five years. Five years. I don't know much about this one either. I'm not going to lie. Um, what, what are your thoughts? What, what are your thoughts? I've listened to this twice. <laughs> so I don't have as many valid thoughts on this. Like, I would get to a point where I'd literally just listen to an album on the fly and just like, I like those YouTube reactions where it's like so-and-so listens to this album for the first time and recorded that. The general baseline is like, we try to hit all the songs and stuff too, but like I said, when you have a... Uh, a mastermind behind the works we can kind of like cut paste edit add more context here and there yeah uh let's roll into immature immature um yeah this one i kind of group in with alarm call because it's that same sort of um trip-hop vibe i'm pretty sure the record was produced by a member of massive attack Whoa. so yeah that sort of makes a lot of sense in that context um it's another track that I think it, do, it doesn't make sense to me that it wasn't one of the bigger hits off of it. Um, once again, because 
trip hop was so big at that point in time. Um, she was very, I imagine, pretty influenced by her relationship at the time because she was dating Tricky as well. Um, so, really? yeah. Oh so, <laughs> I could imagine that that immature and alarm call and like I think mainly those two um, were just heavily influenced by the people she was surrounding herself. Well, we can with. open the door if you associate immature and alarm call. I think that's interesting. So you do kind of group these in together. It's like sometimes when there's an album, they're listed in the same spot and there might be a dash between them because they flow into each other. But so you're thinking immature and alarm call are both in response to kind of her scene at the time when this was recorded? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I don't have much evidence to back that up other than, I mean, I feel like it's evidence enough to say that she was recording with a very well-known trip-hop artist. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that they're like it, wildly similar tracks, but they both take on that sort of moody ambiance. That, and there's probably a reason yeah. that they were stacked back-to-back on a record, too. Like, if there's a definite cohesion. And earlier you had mentioned you thought you would have guessed Alarm Call might have been the most popular song on the record. Why do you think that is the case for this one? Um, for Immature? For, for Alarm Call. Um, I mean, because she was, at least prior to this album, and I think even during this album, marketed as, as a pretty poppy person like she had come mm -hmm. out with hits like human behavior which are some pretty poppy tracks um I, I think just out of all of the tracks that she has on homogenic it's just like a very straightforward 4-4 hip hoppy r&b ish sort of um sort of thing that Again, I just keep going back to, like, the fact that she, I mean, like, this was also around the time in which, like, Mezzanine was released, mm -hmm. and um, I think it just, like, fits in with that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other artists, I mean, like, hmm, I can only think of Massive Attack right now, but I mean, Massive Attack and Tricky, um, but, yeah, it just fits in with that scene very well. Um, as opposed to like her very dramatic ballads. How do on you the feel record. like this part of the record relates to Iceland? Um, well, if I'm thinking about, I think a lot of it has to do with, well, it's half and half. Um, I think a lot of it's about like the fusion of the natural world and, um, the electronic world because she's working with both of those things at the t at the same time um she had said that she wanted to create this sort of like explosive um expansive uh environment on the album but with very natural simple vocals um which i think even with this track like it has a lot to do with like, I, I think that was her way of saying, like, the beauty 
the simplistic beauty or like just what's put in front of you speaks for itself and the fact that she could just like sample her voice a bunch of times on like a little pedal or whatever um and and it's like just her voice and it creates a much more like cacophonous sort of impact than just her voice alone but it's not like she's layering a million different like synths and strings on top of one another it is kind of like you know that's one thing i do remember taking away from the album is sometimes things would sound very complex and layered to me but i could easily identify the layers sometimes i'm listening to music and I'm not sure who is playing what. I'm not sure how many layers of this. I'm I'm hearing an instrument that I don't know what it is. And it's like it is mixing together in a weird way. But I think this album is produced really well. I I do think like the things that you're supposed to hear come out strong. I feel like a lot is done. Like even on the more simple moments on the record, it still makes a lot of sense. It still comes through. And it still has a way of being unique too. Um, what about the song Pluto? That's a crazy one. Um, yeah, that one, I mean, like you said, like there's not really necessarily consistent, um, there's not necessarily a consistent sort of production type happening on the album. Like it moves around a lot. And this one's definitely one of the most like electronically processed ones. Her voice is like, very distorted and it's very fast paced and very angry. I think this was like a moment of anger for her. On the, on the, um, in the, on the album list um like i think it starts by her like saying it she says something like excuse me but i have to explode or something like that so i i think it's just like maybe a very another very personal moment of hers but yeah yeah if it's coming from a point of frustration like obviously given the context of a stalker in that era I would imagine one of the most relevant emotions somebody would be feeling is just frustration. Um, and it's interesting to listen to the songs manifest in different ways, too. Like, if there's more chaotic stuff with, you know, maybe stuff that's not as not as explosive up the front. And it's really interesting to me how different the vocals sound on from track to track on the record. Um, there's a lot of different effects. And like I said, sometimes it's like... I recall like sometimes it was easier for me to follow the lyrics and the theme and then sometimes I'd be like super distracted by the music because something really interesting would be going on so um, and then last but not least is all is full of love um, generally speaking I'm always most interested in the first song and the last song of the album because it kind of is your your bookends for the record what are your thoughts of all is full of love um 
it's definitely a very different place to end the record than where it started. Um, I feel like I have this impulse to like couple tracks together. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I would put Pluto and Hunter together. I would put All is Full of Love and um, Joga together. And then I'd put, like I probably put Bachelorette and All Neon like together and then Alarm Call and Immature. Um, so I, I feel like even though everything in between goes in a lot of different directions, there's sort of like this, um, there's a good like representation of her duality in the beginning and end tracks that she can be like very sweet and tender and ethereal and then on the other side be very intense and dramatic and um creepy even you can make the case too maybe it looks a lot like <laughs> i don't know therapy or like before and after talking to someone or before and after like creating something that helps you cope with something because you're starting right off the bat very rigid you have a lot to say and then by the end you've it, it does seem like a growth process because that's something i'm always super fascinated with in records is like i i love when they reuse a melody or something from track one to the last track or maybe there's a lyrical reference from the first to the last or it's just fascinating to me when there's like a huge change like did we get more upset as the record went on are we feeling much better now and this was really interesting to me because it does feel i mean it felt to me like the lightest moment on the record and it's the last one so it's kind of <coughs> contextually nice i feel like ending the record on hunter or something would be like damn that's it tense you up again Yeah, and also the track right before that is Pluto, right? So it's kind right. of like, which is one of the most intense tracks on the album. So it's like this moment of such high tension then just to be brought down again. So now is also one of my favorite parts too, because I ask guests um, this question a lot when it's coming back to an album that just means a ton to you. Like, what do you think this legacy is going to be for, like, obviously, like I said, we said this album came out in 1997. Why do you think this record has held up so much over time? Why are we sitting in a record store in downtown Mount Vernon at 7 North Main Street, by the way? Why are we talking about this record in 2023? Um, <clears throat> I think it just still holds up today in terms of production and creativity with electronics, she was clearly working with some of the most like cutting edge producers of the time um, and even like continuations of people even further in the past. Like 
one of her co-producers was also someone who worked with Brian Eno. Um, and it's just sort of that like fusion of different genres to create something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Like she was just always willing to be, or just especially in this, willing to be inspired by other people, which is also kind of funny because it's like, there's a lot of influence from people outside of her own culture and her own perspective, even though her intention was to create something that was reflective of her culture. But I guess that's even reflective in and of itself of what she thinks of her, like what she thinks of Iceland, maybe that there's a big degree of influence from other people in other places. I'm not too big on like, um, I don't I don't really know much about Iceland aside from her, um, but I'd be curious to know if there's some sort of like history of immigration within that within that or um, specific influence. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is probably like the production is just still holds up so well, um, and that sort of fusion of like orchestra, orchestral stuff, and then electronica in a way that I still haven't really, I haven't really seen it used that way since, except, I mean, I guess maybe like Kate Bush, I guess. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It just sticks with me. I think uh, the anger as well is another big piece of it. There's just a lot of very potent emotion inside of it. Yeah, and it's just like really fascinating to factor that into. It seems like the people that love this record truly, truly love this record. And, you know, between Kelly of Block Party and Johnny of the Drums, I've had two different indie rock frontmen bring me to this name drop, this exact record, which is interesting. You know, this is front men that hold guitars and they're like both of them have i i believe called it their favorite album Mm -hmm. of all time which is really interesting just to like kind of hold up the legacy and everything well this has been another wonderful episode of the fat dog vinyl podcast we are located beautiful mount vernon seven north main street do you have any closing thoughts on the record um let's say somebody goes and listens to homogenic do you have a different Bjork record that you would recommend they follow up with? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think my other favorite is probably Vespertine, but it's very different from Homogenic. But it, it's in the same vein in that it's also very personal. It's about another one of her relationships and just like a very in-depth dive of like, romance it's kind of just a love album um so i'd probably say that one because i I feel like once you listen to homogenic if you like homogenic like you're you're getting to her weirder side like if you're starting with homogenic the most mainstream thing you could start with is probably her debut album and if you're starting with homogenic and you're into that you can start getting into her more obscure or less accessible albums and I would I think Vespertine's probably my favorite of hers so 
I'd say that one. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And this has been another episode of the Fat Dog Vinyl Podcast. <laughs>